1: Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The children of Israel are called out of Egypt or the world. They're called out into the desert. And you recall that the desert is called that simply because that's what the world looks like to a person who has been converted. If the world does not look like a desert to you, it's because you've not been converted. So as we come out into the desert, as we eat the manna and we drink the water of life, the spring of living water, as we feed on Jesus Christ, we have no taste for the world. It's cut off from us. We don't desire it. Now the children of Israel had a very difficult time with this. They always wanted to go back to the world. They wanted their leeks and their onions. They wanted their free fish. They wanted their lifestyle in the world. So constantly they were struggling with Moses over this being drawn out into the desert when they didn't want to be in the desert. This is a picture of most of those who call themselves Christians unwilling to sacrifice and lay it on the line, but instead always in their heart, desiring even in the secret place of their spirit to go back to Egypt and have the comforts of the sophisticated world. And always the call of the Spirit is to leave the world and come out into the presence of God because He wants to fellowship with His people. Sometimes the Lord God of heaven dramatically steps into time and space in history in the life of an exceptional person to say, look what I've done in this person's life. Because when we see this person and we finally can look at them and we can touch them and we can say, here's a person who had no reason to leave Egypt. a person who had no theological understanding. They simply heard the voice of God. They stepped out and they did what God said. Now, some of you in this room have been struggling for years to step out and do what God has asked you to do. And you need to see sometimes a person, a stranger, who just suddenly... Here's the word, says, yes, thank you very much, I'll do it. And they're there. There's no hesitation. There's no struggle. There is no question in their mind or their spirit. They simply say, look, God called me, I did it, thank you very much, it's done. We look at that kind of person and we say, how'd you do it? What gave you the courage to do that? Why can't I do that? Well, let's look at her. She's a prostitute. She runs a house of ill repute. She runs a whorehouse. And in the midst of her great sin, in the midst of her uncleanness, in the midst of every condemnation, from the righteous children of Israel. They would stone her if they had their choice. They would look at her as the scum of the earth. But God says, I'm going to take this prostitute, I'm going to take this woman who has a house of ill repute, and I'm going to make something so beautiful out of her. You know, God doesn't like religious people. But He loves prostitutes. Now, I know that doesn't sit well in your heart, but it's the truth. You know, Christianity is not a religion, we in America have turned it into a religion. With our man made rules and our man made regulations and all of our expectations. And the Lord just doesn't like religious people. But this prostitute, he loved her. Joshua says, Look, I need two men to go and explore the land. They obviously didn't tell the whole company of people, they were afraid of a repeat performance. And so secretly, these two men slip out of the camp, and their specific assignment is to go to Jericho. The children of Israel are still on the other side of the Jordan River. They are in the desert. And in the desert, they send the two men across the fords to go to the city of Jericho and spy out the land and see what their water source is. Can the water source be cut off for the siege Now, the city of Jericho, archaeologically, we're told, is the oldest inhabited city in the earth. Jericho encompasses about 10 miles around. It's a fairly large city. Some 2,000 permanent residents live in Jericho. And probably in the greater Jericho area, There are another three or four thousand, maybe a few more. And they have heard about the children of Israel. They know that he, under the mighty power of God, Moses has defeated two of the kings. They have heard about the awesome power of this God who parts the Red Sea. The whole land is trembling with fear. They're concerned. They don't know what's going to happen. Many of the people from the surrounding community, many of them have moved into Jericho. Now, just as a point of interest, this whole region is ruled by what is called city-states. Jericho is one of those. Jericho has a king and he rules over the larger Jericho area. He collects the taxes, and then those taxes, a part of them, are forwarded to the kingdom that they are under the heel of, which is the Pharaoh of Egypt. Egypt is collecting taxes from all of the Transjordan area. Now the children of Israel come out of the desert. As Balaam said, they are... They are like cattle that will lick up the grass everywhere they go. They're going to consume the people. And so now we have these two men coming into the city of Jericho and some way they are discovered. Military men are sent out to capture them. And they have gone to the house of ill repute. Now, why they've gone there, we're not told. They may have gone there because that's where men would be who would have information. Maybe they could gather that information. We don't know why they've gone there, but they have gone to this house of ill repute. Now, Josephus argues that this was simply an inn. But the Hebrew word used here is for harlot. There is another word for inn. There is no mistaking this in the Hebrew. It is the home or the house of a harlot. It is a whorehouse. And so now these two men have come to this place and the soldiers come for them. And she hides them upstairs on the flat roof under flax. Now flax is the plant that is used from which the strands are pulled out in order to weave together linen. Most of the linen came from Egypt, but a few enterprising souls in the area of Jericho also produced linen. And part of the necessity for getting these threads out of the plant was to let them soak after being cut, until they were a soggy, rotten, stinking mess. And then you laid this mess out on the roof of your house. And it was under that mess that they hid, she hid these men. No one in their right mind would climb under that mess. And so they were safe. And now Rahab... Rahab speaks to these men just before they're ready to lay down for the night. Look at this passage in Joshua, the second chapter. Joshua, the second chapter, verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below, and she is a pagan. God has been trying to get the children of Israel to make that confession for 40 years. But they know so much about God, they won't make that confession. All they want is to go back to Egypt. And here comes this worldly woman, and out of her mouth, with no... With no preaching, out of her mouth flows this awesome truth of God that he is above all, that he controls everything. I ask you today, how long has God been trying to get your attention so that you would understand that he's in charge of your job? and he's in charge of your finances, and he's in charge of your house, and he's in charge of your health. How long has God been trying to get your attention so that you would just confess to him, mighty God, everything belongs to you, and I am subject unto you. But he has to get a prostitute to say it. Now you recognize this is not the only time the Lord did this. He did it also in the New Testament with a woman named Mary. And he said, everywhere, everywhere the gospel is preached, they're always going to talk about Mary. I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Oh, that Washington, D.C. would melt in fear because of the living God of heaven. Well, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then. Now wait a minute. I want you to understand what's going to happen. Fasten your seatbelt. Here's a woman who's just made a confession of faith. And we are accustomed to making a confession of faith and then settling into our chair and saying, Okay, what's new? Okay, Jesus is Lord. Can we have pizza now? Jesus is Lord. Where did I put my shoes? We make the confession, and then we say, Okay, I've got it. When you've got some new information, tell me. What I need is more information. I'm always hungry for new insights and new understandings. If you don't give me new insights or new understandings, at least inspire me. I've just got to hear more good theology. That's not what this woman said. She makes her theological confession, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then... Now then, she's ready to walk in obedience. She's ready to cross the line. She's ready to risk everything for the God of heaven. What have you risked this week for the God of heaven? Some of you are so blind because you know the theology, but after you know the theology, you turn from that and say, okay, what do I have to do in the world to make my deal work? The Lord is looking for a prostitute who will make a theological affirmation and then say, okay, now, how am I going to walk it? And go walk clean before God. That's why he loved her. We hear God speak to us and we say, you know, that's really not reasonable. That can't be God. We hear the Lord tell us what to do about money, and we say, You know, God wants me to be a good steward, and that's not being a good steward. We hear what God wants to do with our time, and we say, You know, that would be great, Lord, if I just had enough time. You want me to spend two or three hours a day reading the scriptures? You don't understand. I've got a family. I've got responsibilities. I've got big things I have to do. That's why the Lord loved this woman. She didn't say, okay, here's the truth. God is the ruler over heaven and earth. Now God, let me put you on the shelf while I take care of my house. She didn't do that. Look what she did. This is astonishing. Now then, this is Joshua 2, verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. What's she doing? She is entering into covenant. She hears the truth and she says, okay, now give me a covenant this God of heaven that we worship only operates by covenant. And if you don't hear the truth and enter into covenant, you are not in the household of faith. You're in the household of paganism. You cannot live in the household of God if you are not under covenant. And the first thing out of her mouth, okay, now then, now let's get to the business, let's get this covenant done. What covenant has God asked you to make that you've been running from and refusing to make with Him? You realize covenants are forever. You don't renegotiate a covenant. You renegotiate a contract at times. You sometimes abridge. You sometimes alter When both parties agree, you can abridge and alter a contract. A covenant cannot be abridged. It cannot be changed. If the covenant is broken, somebody's blood is shed. It's for life. We'd rather make covenants with our own heart and make contracts with God some of you have made vows. Some of you have made covenants with your own spirit. And the only way that covenant can be broken is if you die. Some of you have made vows, covenant vows. I will never be in a place of dependency. Some of you have made covenants with your spirit and you have said, I will be successful, I will be somebody, I will be, I will do, I will not do, you've made these kinds of covenants with your own spirit. Those covenants can only be broken by your death. That's why the scripture calls it being born again. How can you be born again if you're you're still alive? That's why Nicodemus said, wait a minute. How how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? You can't. You have to die first. Well, how do I know I'm going to be born again if I die? Some of you are afraid to die because you're afraid if you die, you'll never be born again. You're going to lose everything you've worked so hard for if you die. You might lose your marriage. You might lose your house. You might, you might, lose, your, you might lose everything. You might lose your pride. The Lord is saying, if you don't die, you can't be born again. So we say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got an idea. How about if I just don't die, but I dress up like a Christian, and I work hard on self-improvement? Now, I can dress this flesh up to look pretty good. Just give me some, some stuff to cover my face. Hide the blemishes. Put a little color on. Get my hair fixed up. Just, you know, I can... I can slick up pretty good. Do you understand today? You enter into covenant not with your spirit. You enter into covenant with the Almighty God. This woman, this is immediately her heart. She wants to move into covenant with Almighty God. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for yours, the man assures her. If you don't tell... What we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now I want you to understand what the wall was. The wall started with a 15-foot stone wall, very thick not easily breached. On top of that 15-foot wall, they built another 8-foot mud brick wall. And on that, they had an extension that came out preventing any ladders from being put up to scale the uh, wall. And on top of that, they had another 8-foot you have a a wall when it's all said and done of almost 30 feet. It's behind this wall that this prostitute with her house of ill repute lives. And she's saying, I'm not going to trust in my great wall. I'm not going to trust in the king. I'm not going to trust in the world's protection. I am going to cast my lot utterly with the God of heaven. And so she hears about this God and immediately says, okay, let's enter into covenant. I'm going to be a part of what you're doing, God. I'm going to walk with you. And so suddenly she is renouncing her city. She is renouncing her king. She is renouncing her house. She is renouncing every part of all the life she has known up to that point. She is cutting it off and she is saying, I will come and I will be with the living God of heaven. She is willing to enter into the household of faith. The men said to her, The oath you made us swear in verse 17 will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Now, she knows that it's going to take three days for them to hide from the soldiers that will be looking. It will take them another day at least to get back to their camp because their camp is some ten miles distant from Jericho. So she knows she's got probably a good week before she has to be concerned About the Israelite armies coming to attack. Look at verse 21. Agreed, she said, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. She didn't wait a week, she hung that scarlet cord out right then. And we know that that scarlet cord was a looking forward to the blood of Jesus Christ. And I have to ask you today, do you have a scarlet cord hanging out your window? So that everybody can see, everybody will know there's a scarlet cord hanging out your window. What's that about? You recognize what the scarlet cord means. It means I have totally given up my house. I've given up my household. I've given up everything. Everything is now on the scarlet cord hanging out the window. That's my safety. And now not only am I going to do that, I'm going to go and all of my family members, I'm going to bring them into the household of faith. In other words, only the people who were in the house when the children of Israel come would be saved. Everyone else was going to die. Do you have family members right now who are not in the household of faith? And does that concern you? Or do you think you have a great deal of time, that there's no urgency, that that the armies aren't going to come and destroy your home because, hey, this is America. America. I can't tell you today the terror I feel in my heart for America. We are a debtor nation. And as we live in the luxury of our debt, owned by the bank, under the slavery of the bank, we have nations with atomic weapons who have the will to use them who have no Judeo-Christian moral ethic. God has blessed America more than any country in all of the history of the world. And as he has increasingly blessed us, we have taken that blessing and spit in his face. We have turned our backs on him and we have said it is not God who has given us this. We have done it by our own might and our own power. And so there is no honor for God. There is no glory for God. Instead, there is condemnation. You see, Jericho was a very upscale, sophisticated city. It was the oldest inhabited city on the face of the earth. It's older than Ur of the Chaldees. It's older than Egypt. And in this place, business and commerce is being transacted, and people are getting married, and people are they've faced many invading armies. That's why they built their walls so high. They guard the strategic pass into the pasture lands. They understand how to handle armies that come out of nowhere. (laughs) This woman she sees the destruction that's going to come. And she recognizes that there's no safety in the walls because this God of heaven, he has the Red Sea part. How do you fight with a God who sends hailstones from the sky and and hits you with lightning? How do you deal with that God? Do you understand America is going to be hit by the judgments of Almighty God? And we're going to see devastation like we've never seen. Before seen. I don't have to be a prophet to tell you that. All I have to do is look at Sodom and Gomorrah. All I have to do is look around in the secular press and say, what's happening out there? Death and destruction. You know, I wish that I could stand before you today and say, America is going to continue for the next hundred years like it has for the last hundred years. I would be lying to you if I told you that. It's not going to happen. And I choose, for my part, to say every advantage in America is like the city of Jericho. It looks beautiful today, but tomorrow the judgments of God are going to take it out. And I want to make a covenant before the invading army comes. And I want to be clear where I stand that my hope and my confidence and my trust are in the living God of heaven. And I have made a covenant by sacrifice with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because he is the mighty God who rules over heaven and earth. I love Hebrews 11. I love to read about Noah and about Abraham, about Moses. And then I come down to verse 32 and it says, you know, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson or David. I don't have time to tell you about David. I don't have time to tell you about Samuel. But in the verse before that, he had time to tell us about Rahab the prostitute. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab heard this wonderful truth of God, terrifying truth. He is the God who rules heaven and earth. He is above all. And she said, okay, then I better make a covenant with him. That requires a red cord to be hanging out my It's done. Red cord's out. Later, the children of Israel were to sweep in, and they were to utterly destroy the city of Jericho. But there was one part of the wall that didn't fall. It was her house. It was under the blood. Every house will fall that is not under the blood of Jesus Christ every dream, every vision, every goal, every desire of the human heart will fall. But Jesus Christ will not fall. And if you have become a part of the household of faith, you will not fall. You will stand. When the earthquakes come, when the terrible plagues fall, Your house will not fall. You will stand. Now look with me in the book of James. James, the second chapter. Now I love James too, because James is the pastor. You recognize James was the pastor of the New Testament church. James was the brother of Jesus. It was a mega church, by the way well over 15,000 members in size. In this church, they had 3,000 converted in a day. That's Holy Spirit power. It wasn't a marketing campaign. It was Holy Spirit power. Now listen as he begins to speak in chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Remember, the Lord asked me a similar question this last week. Can you be saved if you are not an overcomer? And the answer is no. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That's why in this church we teach that faith is a verb, not a noun. It's action. We've even changed the word to faithing. (laughs) you know like walking faithing but someone will say you have faith i have deeds show me your faith without deeds and i'll show you my faith by my th- show me your faith without deeds and i will show you my faith by what i do you believe that there is one god good Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did I don't like that. I'd rather have my faith made complete by what I confess. Then I could go live my life and be a survivor. But the Lord said, Die. And some of you, if I gave you a picture of yourself, you look like a, a man or woman under the sentence of death. You are. You're right. We are all men and women under the sentence of death. And it's that act that allows us to be born in the Spirit. For some of you, that's good news, and for some of you, that's bad news. Now follow with me. James, the second chapter. Verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Your faith is made complete by what you do, not by what you say. Spiritual blindness comes on the man or woman who says with his mouth one thing and does with his feet another. And the spiritual blindness results in the message of Jesus to the Laodicean church. When he says, you are poor, and you are blind, and you are naked, and you are miserable, and you don't even know it. Why didn't they know it? Because they'd settled back. They had settled back after their theological affirmation they had settled back into their Jericho or their Egypt. And so we gain great spiritual insight. We gain a new understanding and we say, yes! And then we count the cost. And we say, let me think about it. Your faith is made complete by what you do. I've heard some of you say, I want the faith to be able to heal the sick. That's going to take a lot of walking and not much talking. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now I know Martin Luther said the book of James is a book of straw and should not be included in the canon. And I recognize that many others would take their theological scissors and clip this book out of the scripture. But the Lord God of heaven established his canon for his purpose. And whether we like it or not, the book of James from Pastor James is the scripture. And it's truth. And you can't just cut it out and say it's not there and I'm not going to believe it. And we have prostituted the theology of justification by faith in America to allow us to walk in all of the sin we desire and to fall back and say, hey, but I'm covered, I've got it made. (laughs) It's not today the message of justification by faith that is present truth. Present truth in Luther's day was justification by faith. Present truth in America today is obedience to God's commands walking out what we've said we believe, being faithful to the covenant we have with Jesus Christ. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off to a, in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The reason there is so much deadness in our hearts and in our lives is that we are holding back from taking those radical steps of obedience based on the cross that Jesus has called us to. You want the mighty power of God to flow in your life? Then obey His commands. Cut off that thing that's questionable. I've shared with you before, but again today I need to share with you. In the great Welsh revival, Evan Roberts had four principles that he operated by. These four principles will bring revival in the National Prayer Chapel and in Washington, D.C. First, confess every known sin... My sin. Not praying, oh Lord, forgive us for our sins. No. Lord God, you told me to take the time to come into your presence yesterday to read your scripture and to pray, and I was too busy. My agenda was bigger than yours. I confess that and I repent. Lord, I'm angry with so-and-so. I'm bitter with them, and I don't want them to have any advantage. Lord, would you bring judgment on them? Lord, I repent. I'm a sinner. Lord, yesterday I was out, and my eye was caught by that beautiful woman, and I just had to watch her. My eyes were lusting. Lord, I recognize that's a problem. I confess it. I won't do that again. Take me to the cross. Lord God, I recognize that I believe that my money is the most important thing, and I'm not willing to trust you with my money. Lord God, I confess that thing. Only specific sins confessed are worth even talking about. God doesn't hear anything but specific confession.
0: Hallelujah.
1: If you say to God, oh, I'm a sinner, he says, yes, you are. Now what's next? He is bored. He has no interest in that. God is interested in specific confession of specific sins. And as we confess that, as we walk in the Spirit in that thing, and we repent and turn aside, the power of the Spirit begins to flow. Number two, put aside every doubtful habit. So if you have a question about whether this is of God or not, drop it. If you have a question, don't do it. If you have a question, don't go. If there's a check in your spirit, obey the spirit. Do what he asks you to do, when he asks you to do it. Number three, obey the Holy Spirit promptly. You hear the Holy Spirit speak to you and say, go speak to that person. Well, now let's see. What would be the impact of my going and talking with that person? Obviously, I don't know what I'd say to them, and obviously they might reject me, and obviously, you know, somebody else can talk to them. You just rejected the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit says, call that person now and pray with them. Lord, I don't have time to call that person now. How about if I call them tonight after I'm free? You just lost the power of the Holy Spirit. You just lost revival. You understand what revival is? Revival is taking a body on the ground that is dead or almost dead and picking it up and breathing life into it in other words, it's taking a person who is far from the Lord Jesus Christ and bringing them into the heart of God so that they're a fire, they're a flame with love for Jesus. Revival is a revival of Jesus in our hearts. Number four, confess Jesus Christ publicly. Some of you have a difficult time confessing Jesus Christ when you're in the middle of a church service. You have a hard time raising your hands in worship to the Lord. Why? Well, that's just not my custom. That's not my culture. Well, did you come from Jericho culture? It's time for that culture to be over. It's time to come into the kingdom of God culture. And so you're in the household of God and you say... I'm a quiet Christian. We stand in a circle to pray. Some of you have a hard time shouting aloud to the Lord. Do you know when that will change? When you go home and start shouting aloud in your private room. Let your wife or your husband hear you shouting from afar and they'll say, what was going on? I was praying. You were praying. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? This prostitute said, Jericho, I renounce you, I leave here, and I'm going to go with a God who has all power and all authority. Which way are you going? This place is going to be destroyed. Everything you see here has written on it to be burned. All of your furniture, all of your treasures, all of your wonderful stuff, all of it is going to be burned. This prostitute, she said, I have only one goal. Bring all of my household into my house. Bring all of my brothers and my sisters, bring my family, jam them in this house. Sleep them on the floor. We've got a red cord out the window. Your family members are never going to come to Jesus Christ until they understand the dire situation they face. Until you use the law and allow them to see in that mirror their wickedness. Now I tell you, people get mad when you reveal their wickedness. Praise God, that's a first step toward conversion. Some will not get mad, though. Some, like Rahab, will say, Hey, sign me up. I'm moving in. Now, because human nature is what it is, Rahab could have gone out in the city and she could have said, Look, the Israelites are coming and they're going to destroy the city and you better come get in my house. They would have said, Come on, my house is prettier than yours. And some of you today are going to leave this place and you're going to say, yeah, that was an interesting message Pastor Ray gave. But that's for him. Their pastor is for me, I'm going to go on and do my life. Everything is going to work out like I expected. I'm going to go ahead and do this and this and this, and then I'm going to do that. And I got my deal worked out. What are you going to do with Jesus today? Do you have a covenant with Jesus? Is there a red cord hanging out your window? Are you on the move with him? Are you on the move with him? It's time to choose. Mighty God, I know this Jericho is going to burn. I know the walls are going to come tumbling down. And today, Lord God of heaven, I join with Rahab and hang that red cord out my window. I make a covenant with you, Jesus, to be possessed of your spirit, to be carried by your mercy. For you are the God of heaven who rules over heaven and earth. And I will trust you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless.